Tonight we'll talk about creation and providence. Creation and providence. There are two doctrines that go together well. They really do form one doctrine. It is the picture of God creating and sustaining. God giving us all we see and then holding it together. So we'll separate them on the front end, creation and providence. We'll talk about them just a little bit. And, uh, and then um, separate them. Then I'll talk about creation. Then I'll talk about providence. As Baptists, we pretty well got a pretty good handle on the doctrine of creation. For the most part, everybody here probably believes that God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So we all kind of got that, right? What we don't get a hold of very well is the doctrine of providence. Without the Presbyterians, they got providence pretty good. Uh, named the road, Providence Road here in Charlotte. You ride on it. So that's, who, who, that's who named that road, a bunch of Presbyterians. They came here in the 1750s, had seven churches around the area, and one of the roads they traveled on back and forth between the churches was Providence Road. So that's how it's got its name. Baptists don't care much about Providence. We don't think about it much. We like to work. We want to think about Providence. Providence is what God is doing. Baptists, uh, one of the reasons our denomination got so big in so many Baptist churches is because we worked real hard. But we sometimes forget the goodness of God in His providence. So tonight, I want to just slow all of that down a little bit, think uh, about creation for a while, and then spend some time discussing providence and what that means. Let me pray. We'll get started. Father in heaven, we come to you on the merits of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are triune God. And here in this classroom tonight are men and women carrying some significant weight. Father, I pray that you would give peace where there has been confusion. I pray that you would give clarity where there has been disorder. I pray that you would bring healing where there's been pain. I pray that you would bring reconciliation where there has been division. We pray that you would bring joy where there has been sadness and depression. We pray that you would bring the rivers of life where there has been such dryness. I pray for uh, a softening. Lord, without Christ, we have a heart of stone. And I pray that even now you might reach into the hearts of people whose hearts are stone and make them, give them new hearts. We pray that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to believe. We thank you for your provision. Even in the word, we see your providence. We pray that for this time, after a long day, that we could block this time off and just think about you. And so help us, Lord, now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's talk about creation and providence. Let's give some thought and framework to creation first. If you have uh, your worksheet, you'll see a definition of creation. Creation is the mighty act of God to bring into existence the universe and all it contains, including this world, and human beings, all of you, and every bit of that is done for His glory. So creation was a one-time event, something God did, bringing all of this into existence, and He did it for His glory. That's creation. Providence comes out of creation. I'll give you the definition for providence. By the way, uh, if you're not familiar with thinking about providence, I hope you'll start thinking about it more. There needs to be something that, um, that is worked into our vocabulary, into our hearts. Providence. Providence is the continuous work of God to sustain in existence the created universe and all it contains, directing it toward, it's going somewhere, toward some designed end. Okay. So we've got those two things, creation and providence. If creation 
is one of the mighty acts of God, one of the mighty acts of God to bring things into existence, to bring into the existence the universe, to do so. He does so ex nihilio. Ex nihilio. Anybody know what that means? Out of nothing. It is the Latin ex, out of, nihilio, or nihilo, nothing. So we believe that God, not only did He create the universe, He created out of nothing. It's not like there was some, um, some unfinished things lying around. He picked them up, made them good. We believe that God created out of nothing. Let's talk about why. Why did God create? Why? There are some theories as to why God created. He did not create Himself. He is, we think about God, God is eternally existent. He has no beginning. He has no ending. He did not create himself. Well, why did he create? Well, he did not create, create out of loneliness. Some people will say, well, God created man because he was lonely and wanted to have fellowship. But remember, our God is a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have been in perfect fellowship for all eternity. So he did not need or create man and woman for fellowship, God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They eternally love each other, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally glorify one another. There is perfect fellowship. The more you embrace the doctrine of the Trinity, the more you want to be a part of a body of believers that, that understands fellowship. Our thoughts of fellowship come from the idea that God is in perfect fellowship with Himself. Therefore, if we are imitating God, we should then be in fellowship with one another. The idea of fellowship is not saying you need some friends. That's not fellowship. That may be that you have a little bit of a social disorder. I don't know. You need some friends. That's not fellowship. Fellowship comes out of our understanding of who God is in perfect fellowship with himself, and therefore we, imitating God, should fellowship. So creation, he did not create because he was lonely. Why did God create? God created out of a superabundance of His love and to display His glory. God created out of a superabundance of His love and He did so to create His, uh, to uh, display His glory. What else about why God creates? Well, let's step down to the second question. You'll find it there. Uh, creation, what does it do? It displays some of the attributes of God. Creation displays God's power. Creation displays uh, God's knowledge, creation displays uh, God's sovereignty, creation displays God's independence. If I were writing things down, I would write down uh, power, knowledge, independence, and sovereignty. Let's drop down to the third one, number three. Creation was an act of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working together inseparably. Let me share what I mean. You have, that, uh, you have the passages before you. If you have your Bible, you can go there. The classic passages to read about creation are Genesis chapter 1 and uh, also John chapter 1. Uh, those are good passages to, to mark in your Bible. So let's just read the first three verses of Genesis chapter 1. See if you see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in these two chapters, in these two books. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. There was light. Drop down to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Do you see how familiar uh, the two are, how similar they are? Genesis 1 and John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Anybody know who John's talking about calling the Word? Okay, okay, so get that in your mind. So John 1 is talking about Jesus. In Genesis 1, you have God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Let me finish John 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3 is really important in our understanding Christ and Christ's role in creation. All things were made through Him. All things. The chair you're sitting in, all things. The shirt you're wearing, all things. Shoes I got on, all things. All things were made 
through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So you take Genesis 1 and John chapter 1 and you bring them together and there you see the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all of them involved in creation. So that leads me to the five basic, let's look at the five basic truths about creation. I'll uh, try to use other scriptures besides the one we've gone through. Here's the first basic truth about creation. The universe and everything in it is created by God. So you, some of you are maybe thinking, okay, this is kind of kindergarten Christianity, right? This is important to get because this affects how we view Creation, other people, how we view this world, the tragedies in this world. So, so the first basic truth is the universe, everything in it, created by God. Nehemiah, you'll find it in his prayer and the description. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, and especially uh, right before we get to verse 6, Blessed be your glorious name. It is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord. You alone, you have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all of their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve, there's providence there, you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worshiped you. One of the great things you get a hold of when it comes to worship, and this should drive us to worship. Why do we worship God? Because He has created us to worship Him, redeemed us through Christ so we can worship Him. So the universe and everything in it is created by God. Here's a second basic truth. We've uh, covered it once, let me cover it again. God created ex nihilo. Latin for out of nothing. That is a really important thing to get a hold of, that there was not substance until God spoke it into being. When you read Genesis 1, that is, what, that is what Moses is telling us. That is how God created it. That is important for us because if that's the case, then it, that butts right up against an evolutionary theory of creation. So if we're believers in the Bible... The, the, the weight of burden of proof is not on the Bible. It's on science. You understand what I'm saying? If you're not careful, you feel like, well, I need to find something to prove that the Bible is true. Right? You want to you find, and sometimes we even go to archaeological digs and you do... Archaeology is great, but you go and find this relic from 2,000 years ago, and you'll say, well, there, you know, this proves that the Bible is true. We, we, don't, we don't count on science. To, it's really nice when it confirms. It's great when it comes together. It's, it strengthens our faith, but it doesn't create our faith. We're asked to believe this on faith that God, out of nothing, created. In fact, you find them. Um, a great passage, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. You see how the writer of Hebrews has said it? It is by faith. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen, this is where we get ex nihilo, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It was done out of nothing. One of the basic truths about creation is not only that God created the universe and everything in it, but that he did so out of nothing. Let me give you a third basic truth. Third truth. God's purpose in creation, God's purpose was to display his goodness and his greatness. Maybe you see it sometimes in the mornings, those of you that see the sunrise, and now and then the sun hits the clouds just right, and it's a beautiful pink, orange. Sometimes, if, the sun, if it's, if it's we're at the right time of the year on Sunday morning, I'll get here to church before the sun comes up. And out of my window, it, my window faces uh, to the east. And when the sun comes up, a lot of times I'm sitting there. It is a beautiful declaration. 
Now, some Sundays it's raining, and it's not so beautiful. And I should probably rejoice then, too. I don't feel rejoicing in my heart. But, but when I see a beautiful sunrise, so isn't that what the psalmist says in Psalm 19? Psalm uh, 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. So His creation, all of His creation, the purpose of that creation is to preach that God is glorious. That's what Psalm 19 is saying. Creation preaches God is glorious. One of the things we can look in the sky and see, God is glorious. You see a rainbow, it's a reminder, God is glorious. That's what the preaching is. Proclaiming that God is at work. The three, there's a third uh, basic truth, that God's purpose is displaying His goodness and greatness. Let me give you the fourth basic truth. I've, I've covered it twice here. But it's one I think is important for us to get in kind of our doctrinal arsenal. So we want to have doctrine that, that leads us to live a certain way. But uh, our doctrine uh, gives us something to stand on. And one of the parts of our doctrine as Christians uh, is understanding that, uh, here's the fourth basic truth about creation, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all active in creation. We've already read um, a couple of these. Let's go through it again. Think about it like this. A, B, C. A, God the Father spoke the universe into existence. Genesis 1, 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God the Father spoke the universe into existence. But what about John chapter 1? If God the Father spoke the universe into existence, then here's B to that. God the Father spoke through through Jesus, the Son. So go again in your mind, or on the page, to John. John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So God... The Father spoke the universe into existence, and He did it through His Son. This is important for your own Christology. You know what Christology is? It's the study of Christ, your view of Christ. Theology is the study of God. Christology, study of Christ. This is important for you to get this. That God the Father spoke into existence through Jesus the Son. Uh, the writer of Colossians helps us with this thought. Did I include? Yeah, I did. Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Think about this when you view Jesus. For by Him. Think about Jesus. This is talking about Jesus. By Him, all things are created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him, through Jesus, and for Him. Two things I want you to think about. All things. Do you know what that is in Greek? All things, what that means? Right, all things. It means all things. So let's start thinking about all things are created through Jesus, okay, I got that part, but through, but Colossians 1 says, all things are created through and for Him. Raise your hand here if you have things. Anybody here got things? Yeah. So you may just have some things. Some of you may have a lot of things. We all got some things. So do you know what this verse does to those things that you have? This changes, this should change everything about how you view the things you got. Don't own it, but since you do have it for a little bit, Mr. Hagler, we have to use it. If it's made through him, I've got to use it for him. So if I start working in a Christology and in my doctrine of creation, it's not just that God spoke it into existence. Now He's done it through Jesus the Son, and He's done it so that those things that I have, the things, I'm, I've been created by God, my home is created by God, my children, 
my wife, all the things that I have, they then are created for His glory. So you walk out of here with a shirt on your back tonight. That's for God's glory. You got money in your pocket that's been given to you to glorify Jesus. If you have food in your cupboard, if you have joy in your heart, if you have the ability to have a positive attitude, that has been created by God through Jesus for His glory. Colossians 1.16 is a haunting, it's an invading verse. So let's be... And then there's God the Spirit. God the Spirit is active in hovering. Genesis 1, uh, you can go back to verse 2. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God is hovering. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let me give you the fifth basic truth about creation. Fifth basic truth about creation is that God's creation is good. You can go back to Genesis uh, 1, you read Genesis 1, you get to the end of it in, in verse 31. I think I have that down for you. Verse 31 says, uh, God saw, th this is the last time, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was e morning and evening on the sixth day. So prior to that, every time he would create something, six times, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Every time he created it, it's good. He got to the end of that creation and said that it is very good. There is one thing that the Lord saw that was not good. Do you remember? Not good for the man to be alone. The very... Very first thing that was not good was that. And so, if you are a woman, you were created because things were not good without you. Right. You made it better, didn't you? Yeah. You were created, a woman was created to solve the very first problem. Y'all been given advice ever since, right? <laughs> Something happened. Amen. Something happened. Uh, Something happened in creation, though. It's in Genesis chapter 3. Crept into God's good and perfect world. Did I, did I include it? Okay. In Genesis chapter 3, this is after Adam and Eve have fallen into sin. Adam was there with her. They, they fell in together. They fell into sin. And this is part of the curse. Now, notice how the... I, I've touched on this Sunday, I think. You may or may not remember it. Um, this is how sin has affected not just us personally. It's affected everything. Your car breaks down because of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, 17, 18. And the Lord said to Adam, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Not just us personally, all of creation. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So we are ordained to work. Work was a lot easier in Genesis chapter 2 before the fall. When the fall comes, now work creates the sweat of our brow that you're cultivating the garden and there are thorns in the garden. Ride by the rose bush and it smells good, but you're zapped with a thorn. Uh, Sunday, I said something about a wasp. I was preaching at North Campus on Sunday and said that, and some little girl on the front row thought that was the funniest thing she'd ever heard. <laughs> I, mean, I almost had to stop preaching, and I thought, well, and it really was just sort of off the cuff, and I said that I'd gone by the bushes and a wasp came out and stung me. Had it been before the fall, that wasp would have come out and kissed me on the cheek. And somehow or other, that, she thought that was just great. I stood and let her laugh a little bit, and then... But the truth is that creation, right? I mean, we feel it. We see it around us. People have wrecks. Our bodies age and decay, and we get cancer. And this ha All of this is a result of the fall. So while God's creation was good, sin brought around the unwinding, the undoing, the unraveling of God's good creation 
so that when we look to Christ, this is why I want you to help uh, think bigger about what Jesus has done for us. So when we are saved, we, we have, as Baptists, oftentimes reduced uh, salvation down to a personal decision. I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ, and Jesus is now my Lord. That's a fine way to do it. It's not the whole story. The whole story is that Christ came to redeem people. He also came to redeem God's good creation. Remember, this story is going somewhere. Redemptive history is headed to a consummation, to the coming king, where the heaven and earth will be restored in newness and perfection. So that redemption is restoring God's good creation. All right, that's the doctrine of creation in about 20 minutes. Y'all did really well. Let's think a little bit about providence. Providence. Let me read for you again what providence is, what we started with, and we'll break providence down a little bit. Providence is now not just creation. Providence is the continuing work of God to sustain in existence the created universe and all it contains directing it toward a divinely designed end. In other words, God is taking us somewhere. All of this is going somewhere, right? Providence. Let's break it down into three areas. Uh, most systematic theologians will give you three uh, kind of pockets of providence. I have them as preservation, concurrence, and government. I won't divide it any further, but those are three ways to think about. So let's for some of you, these are new terms. So we think about God's providence. What does it mean in His preservation? Preservation. I'll start with a Bible verse. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Nehemiah is praying and he says that you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all of their hosts on earth, and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all, and the host of heaven worships. Providence, that is the continuous mighty act of God maintaining in existence and providing for the universe He created. That is the continuous. Creation is a one-time event. Providence is God continually maintaining. That's what preservation is. That He's, he's keeping it all together. The reason that the chair that you're sitting in right now remains a chair and doesn't morph into a glass of water is that God has preserved it. Part of His providence is preserving His creation so that the elements that make that chair a chair, it is remaining a chair. Does that make sense to anybody? Did I talk myself into a circle just then? I don't think I did. I want you, this is, can be my, I want you to think about the goodness of God in providence that He is maintaining and preserving His creation. In fact, uh, we, we quoted Colossians 1.16. Colossians 1.17 is a beautiful. Don't you love Colossians 1.17? This is talking about Jesus, and notice what the text says. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. We, we run by that verse and you don't think about it, but it's in Him, in Christ. God is holding all things together. His, his providence um, is, is preserving. The reason that that wall stays up, it's held together because God has made it and He's providing. He is preserving. The reason that things, you can go out and the, the sky is blue, it's, it's God has preserved it. And God's providence is there to remind you of, of His goodness that points us to Christ. Remember, remember, we've talked about general revelation and specific revelation, right? General revelation, which you can see around you. Specific revelation is what the Bible tells us about Christ that points us to the cross. Those two things that go together... General revelation is terrible without specific revelation. If all you have is general revelation and you don't get specific revelation, which is the gospel, what you end up doing is recognizing there is a God but not worshiping Him. That's what Romans 1 is about. 
and the wrath of God then is revealed. General revelation is only a blessing when you realize specific revelation. That is, Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners. God's providence is here, not just so we can think good things about God. It is here to lead us to the redemption found in Jesus. So that with Colossians 1.17, we can rejoice and say that he's, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Providence is preservation, but it's also concurrence. Concurrence. Let me, let me uh, say what this is and then read a passage or two. Concurrence is a hard thing to get a hold of when you think about providence. Concurrence is God is all-encompassing and He is cooperating with His creation in its every act and development. Let me say it again. God is all in is all encompassing and he's he's cooperating with so he's created something and he's using that something he's created. He's cooperating with his creation in every single act and development, everything that happens. So so God is cooperating with plants and animals. He will promote their flourishing. He will bring about their demise. There are animals that go into extinction because God is doing that. God will bring about flourishing. He might terminate their existence. That is the providence of God working concurrently so that we, we're able to say the laws of nature exist. Yes, it is God working through them. They're not in competition. This, this, is how we, this is how we, as those that believe in the full sovereignty of God in all things, this is how we can bring together, and, and it is foggy, this is how we bring together God intricately involved in all of the details of life, and yet we are still uh, able to make uh, our own real decisions with real consequences. Why? It's because of the doctrine of providence that God works through them. For instance, the holy angels of God in heaven are in His service, and God has them working. It's what Hebrews 1 and 2 talk about the angels. But also, God is concurrently permitting, He permits Satan and his demons to wreak limited havoc. Limited. So what it, I think it was Luther that said is that the devil is God's devil. What that means is that it, when you think about a holy God and Satan, you don't have two equal competing powers. God is sovereign over Satan. And anything he does, the Lord permits it. He can only do what God allows him to do. Think about Job standing in the courts of heaven. Remember that discussion? If you think through that now, that's going to affect how you understand how God works in your life. Uh, spiritual warfare, it helps you think through uh, having confidence in the goodness of God and, and God's control. He works concurrently. For instance, so let's talk about humans here. Humans. We are responsible. We work responsibly. Humans work responsibly for the accomplishment of God's plan or, or we are responsible for rejecting Him out of the hardness of our own hearts. Both ways. You remember the story of Pharaoh, right? It says that, that Pharaoh hardened his heart. also says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Before, before the text says that, that Pharaoh hardened his heart, it was predicted that God would harden Pharaoh's heart. God working, and Pharaoh was responsible for his decisions. He made real decisions he was responsible for, 
and went to hell for it. Now this can be mind-boggling because you, it, you, it doesn't find for us the logical end where we want it to. It reminds us we are dealing with something that is beyond our comprehension. But we trust that in providence, God is working concurrently. See, you see, created realities, there's nothing in this universe that works, that happens apart from God. Now, how does that play out? For instance, something really works out well in your life, you didn't expect it to work, work out, and you can say, well, that was a God thing. It's a God thing that that happened. I might, because I'm a little bit of a smart aleck, say to you, everything is a God thing. There's nothing outside of his realm, his ability to control his universe. If he is a sovereign God and works providentially, he is working and taking his creation somewhere through providence. See, providence is one of those doctrines you start to swim in, and it's, it's there for us to remind us of God's goodness, his control. He's taking us somewhere. It gives you great confidence. Um, let, me, um, let me point out a couple of, I've hit you with a lot of information. Let me back up and point out a couple of passages. One is um, in Genesis 45. It's the story of Joseph. I've lo I've, I have loved preaching the story of Joseph. It may be my most favorite series, preaching through Joseph. Um, I think because there's so many parts that could be uh, comedic. Because sometimes when I'm studying, I think, that's hilarious. Like when I was studying about the cows, I mean, I had all these jokes I want to tell about cows, eating cows, and I didn't do it Sunday. Um, the, all of these things come up that r strike me as great elements to a story. But one of the overriding principles of the life of Joseph is God's providence working through good and bad things. And, and you even hear Joseph say it over in Genesis 50 when he tells his brothers, you meant it for evil and God meant it for good. But it's throughout the entire story. I'll give you one little snippet. Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8. He's talking uh, with his brothers. After all he's been through, this is what he says. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. So, so Joseph has just claimed that God did this. How did God send him? He sent him through these terrible events. Many of them happened because someone else was committing some terrible sin against Joseph, and yet God was concurrently, providentially, working through all of that, yet without sin, but working through to bring about his plan. He says to them, um, God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. There are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. It's the third time he said it. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So what, because God sent Joseph to Egypt, all he went through, including the sins of other people and used pagan people to do it, to put Joseph where he is, he preserved the remnant, Israel, and kept the line that would lead to Jesus. This is God's providence. Proverbs. Proverbs is sort of bumper sticker theology. You can take a proverb, turn it out, put it on your bumper, right? Where you get some theology. Proverbs 21, verse 1. <clears throat> Aren't you thankful for this? The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wants to. That's a, I'm glad for that verse right there. That helps me whether someone I do or don't approve of is in the White House, honestly. And 30 years from now, when there's some other president that I may or may not agree with, what I trust then is that God is in control. That's what providence is, and is teaching us that God genuinely is in control, not just in the big events of life, but in the, in the small details that bring about the big events. 
That's where providence is. Teaching us that we don't just look for these big flashbang great things about God. It's in the small events of life that we know God is working to take us somewhere. God is always and fully cooperating with every action and development. Everything that happens. That's why it's good for us to think about a smiling providence and a heart providence. That's why it's good for us to think about sometimes they're really nice providences, sometimes they're very difficult, hard providences. That's concurrence. Concurrence is a word you don't hear much when you talk about God. It's one, though, to get a hold of when you think about how good your God is working through your life and all of the details. Let me give you a third um, kind of segment of, of providence. It is the word government. Government. What I mean by that is not uh, the United States government. What I mean is God, God's work of directing creation toward a divinely planned end. God is working, taking all of his creation, you and me, everyone involved, and he's taking it to some planned if there's a plan, it was beforehand, a planned end. So remember, think of, think of um, <clears throat> the story of the Bible. God created the world, the world was good, sin came into the world, and we fell from the goodness of God. We were permitted to fall in God's plan that brought about the continued plan of God's redemption, the story of redemption that comes from the Old Testament pointing to the goodness of God in Jesus where the cross, he would redeem mankind and begin the redemption of all creation, and then we would find the consummation. When Jesus would return in the new heavens and the new earth. So there are two passages. Hebrews 1 and um, Isaiah, Isaiah 40. Hebrews 1 verse 3 talks about Christ. That's what the passage is. He is the radiance, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after He made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Isaiah 40, 17. This is a, this is a reminder. <clears throat> All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Why do we need to get a hold of this? Why is this doctrine important? Well, a couple of things. I meant to bring something else. Uh, we don't have time for it, so it doesn't matter. Um, why is this important? Well, the providence of God is a source of great comfort and assurance that God genuinely is in control. He's not only in control passively, he's actively doing something. So when you start to love the doctrine of the providence of God, it brings great comfort and assurance. The second thing um, is when you think about God's providence, it's a reminder that God's good purposes cannot be frustrated. God's good purposes, because of providence, can't be frustrated. Careful how you think about how God works, um, that if, if we would somehow have the power to stop the Holy Spirit from working. Providence reminds us that God's, you, you can't, God is so powerful, he, he can't be stopped. There are some supplemental scriptures that I would like for you to uh, see. <clears throat> the reminders, I'll take you all the way down to Matthew chapter 10, there at the bottom of your page. Matthew 10, uh, this is Jesus speaking, and he's talking about worry. Remember this passage? And he's saying to his listeners, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them. He, he's talking about little small, nobody cares stuff. Think about it, just a sparrow. Anybody have wild geese at your house? 
I come over, I have like 40 in my front yard. I mean, they're, they're all over my front yard. There's a pond close to where I live, and so they get on my driveway and leave their mark all over my driveway. And so sometimes when I come home, uh, if they're on the driveway, I speed up, right, hoping that I'll strike one of those geese. I think it's against the law, uh, so I haven't ever done it yet. Right, I mean, I, but, but I do think about it a lot. And um, geese are big. There would be a, I mean, it would be terrible if I killed a geese. What about a sparrow? Hundreds, millions of sparrows. The birds all over our yard. Connie has bird feeders everywhere, and there are birds flying everywhere. Sometimes I'll find dead birds in the yard. I don't think anything about it. And Jesus says, well, yeah, I know that they don't cost much. But not one of them falls to the ground outside of the control of God. That is a bizarre. I mean, does that, you think that God's in control of all. And then he says, even the hairs. Your head, some of you, the Lord's counting backwards. Even the hairs. Of your head, that's providence. This is the sovereignty of God, right? How about Psalm 139? This is, Psalm 139 is a great pro-life verse. I, it should be used for pro-life. But let's not just keep it at, at pro-life when we talk about uh, against abortion. We are against abortion, of course. But 139 verse 13 through 16 speaks of how intricately. Let me just read it to you. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is, this is David speaking to the Lord. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one. A couple of closing thoughts. Our God upholds all things. Our God governs all events. Our God directs everything to its appointed end. Our God does what I've just said. He does this all the time, and He does it in every single circumstance. Every single one. And, but on top of that, He does every bit of it for His glory. So what does providence do? I'll keep saying I'm going to close, but i got a minute or two. Providence frees me from bitterness. I don't have to be bitter at people. I've been wronged. Be like Joseph looking back at Potiphar's wife and how he was mistreated. Providence, because I believe God is doing it, his brothers that threw him into slavery. Providence, what that does, it frees me from being bitter. I don't have to hate people. Providence does something else, too. Providence gives us, as believers, providence gives us a new outlook on tragedies. This is why I'm, I'm wanting to strengthen your faith here. I want, I want you to, to have your faith strengthened so when it comes, it's, it, you're not so bewildered, you're trusting in a good God because of providence. Providence, I'll, I'll leave it at this. Providence gives us great courage in really hard times. Why? Because we trust that God is actually doing something that this is not random, that the pain is not without meaning. You guys know the story of William Cooper. I've mentioned it a time or two. William Cooper is spelled William Cowper. It'd be worth uh, looking at. If you'd like to listen to good stories, you could go to Desiring God, and he has lots of biographies, John Piper does, and one of them is on William Cooper, spelled Cowper. Uh, he was a contemporary of John Newton. William Cooper uh, was suicidal. 
He several times tried to take his life. He was a talented man. He was wildly famous as a poet. Um, he was a depressive. He spent some time in an insane asylum. But he came to Christ. Newton had led him there. John Newton. John Newton, by the way, is a great study as well. John Newton was a slave trader, radically saved, and helped with William Wilberforce, helped lead to uh, break the back of slavery in England. That's a great story, too. William Cooper, uh, his whole life, he was racked with depression. He was afraid, even though he knew the gospel, he was afraid that uh, he uh, was damned to hell, that he was not among the elect. But in his more lucid times, he had a hold on the, the doctrine of providence. You guys know the old song? Um, God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the seas, and he rides upon the storms. William Cooper wrote those words, because although he had all of these things that, plag that plagued his mind, he believed in the providence and the sovereignty of God. One of the great doctrines is going to help you walk through tomorrow, next week, next month, is trusting in a good God that he's working all the time. Would you join me as a word, in a word of prayer? We'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the beautiful truth of your providence. We trust you. We ask that you give us strength and grace to do that. Give us eyes to see and hearts to believe and a steady hand to stay at the task you've given us. Father, we pray and trust in, in your healing hand and your guiding hand. We ask that you would lighten the load of those that are under a burden, that you would restore the joy to those that have lost it in their own salvation. And we pray that you would give us hearts that rejoice in your good hand in our lives. Father, as we come to you, we pray that you might wake us up tomorrow morning and in time to spend time in your word and then again on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and, and the Lord's Day, Sunday, we ask that you bring us together and rejoice in the goodness of God found in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. You're dismissed.